Land acknowledgements are often presented in shared spaces where we gather in person. But on a podcast, we recognize that each one of us occupies space on Indigenous land. We call on you, our listeners, to acknowledge that Indigenous people are the original inhabitants and caretakers of this land and have distinctive and sovereign rights and responsibilities that are directly connected to the land, community, culture, and knowledge. With this in mind, please take time to find out what territory you are on at native-land.ca and support our amazing Indigenous firecrackers like Camille Baudouin. Camille is a writer, director, producer, and will be directing an interactive feature film about unceded land called Inheritance that's coming to you in the fall from Vancouver, Canada. For more information, find Camille on her Instagram at FrenchYC1. I'm Naomi Sneakers. And I'm Amanda Bruegel. And this is The Blaze Sessions. Um, Amanda Bruegel, I sure love seeing you. I also love that every time I see you, you're you're just a very stylish person. Thank you. I, I, I'll take it. My mom, uh, thank you. Thank you. And I'm getting trying to get better at taking compliments. My mom uh, is and was super stylish and she's seven mid 70s and she's in her her sequins graphic tee era. And I just I just God bless her. Just she's getting more and more Vegas as the, the years go on. And I love it. I think just having a mother who is like really a risk taker and then a father who is always impeccably dressed was just it's a good combo. It's a oh, yeah. it's a combo for yeah, remember my dad? My dad was always dapper. so stylish, so stylish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be the guy that you want on any kind of like opening night party because he's just so you'd be like, mysterious too, right? He'd be like, "Who's that gentleman?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I know. If I would looked at my fashion, I'd be like, my mom. My mom would have flowers in her hair as much as she could, and my father would wear clothes that were barely clothes any longer. Like they were just barely oh. holding on by a thread. He said one point he was walking down the street and he was like, oh, what's that around my ankles? And his underwear had fallen through <laughs> because they were just off. So anyway, I'm a fine oh, line gosh. between the two. I've got, I don't think I, I go that far, but um, yeah. I love it. I love your style. Thank you. Coming from you, that means so much to me. And now a word from our sponsors. looking for new jewelry pieces. I love sparkly and simple, sometimes larger and statement pieces. And you know where I always go to? Made You Look. Made You Look has been proudly located in the heart of Toronto's Parkdale Village for 22 years. Made You Look represents over 100 local jewelry designers with 20 jewelers who make their jewelry right on site in the large studio that they have. Made You Look is open seven days a week and it specializes in a range of jewelry products and services. Now listen to this. Prices range from ten to $10,000, showcasing both fun and funky jewelry and exquisite and rare high-end precious jewelry, including wedding and engagement rings. Made You Look also offers permanent bracelets, the hot new trend of having a silver or gold bracelet permanently welded on. No more pesky claps. You don't have to worry about it falling off. It's welded on there often done together with your BFF. 
They also specialize in custom jewelry, including memento mori for loved ones and pets, fingerprint jewelry, incorporating stones from your travels, or any other unique and wonderful ideas you may have. Find them at madeyoulook.ca. And now, back to the show. Listen, um, <laughs> I'm excited to have our guest here because it's made it's inspired me to me talk too. to you a little bit about, um, I know that you just did a theater workshop. And I, I, I wanted did. to hear, but, but did you freak out about that? Because you haven't done theater. When's the last time you did theater? 23 years. Yeah. 23 years. I stopped doing it for uh, um, uh, two reasons. I mean, it was my first love. I went to theater school. I loved it. But I stopped doing it, A, because I at the same time I booked a commercial and I saw how much you make it from a commercial. And then I saw what they gave me uh, for the, the entire like rehearsal for a week of theater and I it was like 425 and a can of peanut butter whoa and you got I a just can don't of peanut butter? Do, I I did and I had student loans and I you know I it just was I just I wasn't I wasn't down for that also had some weird sexual harassment experiences at the beginning of my theater uh ventures and so I just I walked away from it I did a workshop at Crow's Theater and it was the best thing that has happened to me I'd say in two years just the wow. two days. I mean, as the, uh, as film and television actors, you know, we uh, you you work and you work and you practice and you hone all of your stuff. You don't really get scene partners. You don't get to workshop anything. It takes you uh, uh, maybe you get maybe an hour to bang it out. If you're in American stuff, if you're in Canadian stuff, you get two takes maybe. And you're not really actually practicing or developing your craft. You're a service animal. You say lines and you have to move on because of budget because of location, because of a lot of things. It doesn't really feel like you get to act mm -hmm. for the love of it. Mm -hmm. And it does in theater. And so I, dropping this news right now, will return, not this year, but next year in full force. Amazing. And that's all I can say about that. Yeah. It's also something that I would like to talk to our guest about. Yes. Because I know that our, our guest has similarly uh, recently gone into theater this is i'm trying not to give it away it's too i mean quickly. you're gonna give it away just get into it i i'm just before you move I'm gonna on get I it away now. Say, like i just want to say how i love so much when i see film actors going to theater theater actors going to film and seeing that crossover because i think it's like there's there's something really magical like seeing what you'll do on stage you know i love watching you on film and then seeing what you'll do on stage will be uh really free are you freaked out a little bit no excited no amazing no no you get to do we love this i and know to be able i know to do but like for... doesn't anything scare you doesn't that like scare you a little bit we talked about this sub mechanophobia i don't like man-made things submerged underwater right right that's the only thing that scares you oh my gosh no more i really hope there'll no, never but... be a time where i'm like that's happened like man-made things underwater i guess i could you could come to the cottage and be like check out that boot underwater yeah Okay. Yeah, and then you'll see me freak out. Let's go. Let's speaking get of freaking to out, our guest. I'm so excited. Freaking out. I'm freaking out. Go ahead. I'm trying to do better segues. Uh, I, I, when we first started this and and we were curating this list, my list. Uh, this this person was the second person on my list. Uh, second because I, you know, I thought we were just going to start with the actors or performers and some right. And this person is a powerhouse producer, phenomenal person, but also has been a friend for many, many years. So uh, they received an honors degree in film studies at York University 
They are a multi-award winning producer of critically acclaimed features and TV series and TV movies and most recently live theater. We're going to get into that. Her projects include Adventures of a Mathematician, Shades of Black, Shattered City, Prom Queen, The Mark Hall Story, and Maudie. And you remember how much of a phenomenon that was. Amazing. Uh, starring Sally Hawkins and Ethan Hawke. And I realized in doing research that it collected over 25 awards worldwide. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. She was the 2019 recipient of Women in Film and Television's Illustrious Crystal Award for Creative Excellence. She served three consecutive terms as a director on the National Board of Canadian Film and Television Producers Association. What hasn't she done? She's also a dedicated activist. Having volunteered for years at uh, Parkdale's High Park's Romero House for Refugees, she actually received the Queen's Jubilee Medal for her work with this nonprofit. Uh, and she's a loyal ferocious, passionate powerhouse, uh, a dedicated mother, and a champion of Canadian stories. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the Mary Young Lecky. Yeah. Uh, I am so blushing. Oh my gosh, that was such a cool introduction. I've done all that stuff. Don't you love it when it's, it's all like true. compacted like that? And you're like, it's really interesting stuff. hearing it. I've been sitting here, I was blushing. I'm like, oh dear, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have written all that down in my bio, but yeah, cool. <laughs> this is so much fun thank you so, so much happy. for including me are you kidding me this is so great because I have loved I, before I even met you I loved you from the work in Maudie like I remember seeing Maudie and then looking at the crew and cast list because I was like I need to know who created this I needed to know the team that doesn't often happen you know you'll see a show and you'll be like oh who played the lead it's, but I wanted to know the team who created that because it was such a beautiful a beautiful story but I'm curious how you two know each other Oh, well, <laughs> Amanda and I met in an audition room where she basically set everybody back on their heels. There was a character that we had created. We had an idea of what who that character was. Then Amanda walked into the room. Do you remember what you were wearing? No, it was probably insane. It no, I don't. Wait. It was so amazing. It was like a, a, a black and white stripe. I think it was a onesie. Of course. Uh, it was like... For sure. And you just walked in and you came in and you just owned the room. Not only was it exciting, but it was, it was mind blowing because we all, Kent and I, Kent was my um, co-creator and showrunner. And we, after Amanda left, it wasn't like, maybe she's got the part. It's like, okay, here's what we're going to do with this character. Okay. This is where she can go. And this is what's going to happen. It was just like, oh my God, it was so exciting. So that's how we met. What was that project? Oh, it was called The Secret Lives of Hockey Wives, MVP. Yes. The greatest series that only lasted one and a half seasons. There is a story behind that. Um, however, we then became fast friends because we were on set together every day, day in and day out. And Amanda just kept bringing more and more stuff to the party. I mean, it was just so much fun. We, we had, a, I think it was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life on the show. Wait, what does that mean? Of my life. I want to know what that means like when you because as a producer creator I always think of people like you as like artistic producers as a producer. Yeah you better because that's what I am. Yeah like you know so they, yeah, but there are some yeah. producers that are like money producers. Yeah yeah and that's, that's I don't think that's your jam. No it's not my jam. But when you said like Amanda kept bringing things to set what, what does that mean and how does that affect your role as a producer? I mean Amanda is never shy about expressing her ideas and opinions and <laughs> <laughs> No, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if there's something that doesn't make sense to her, she'll tell you. And if it makes sense to me, I can tell her. And then we come mm -hmm. to it. However, just, I mean, she would 
she would break into song or break into dance in the scene. I mean, it was just like her character, she became her character, her character became her. And so every night when I'd have to go back and I mean, you know, we were commuting back and forth for a while from Hamilton and eventually living in London and I'd be on set every day. And then in the car on the drive back, I'd be looking at rushes and then I'd be going to look at the script for the next show. And whatever Amanda was doing in rushes inevitably inspired what we were going to with, do with her character in the next script. Aww. So it brought, and, and that's what collaboration is. And that's what television yeah. can be. And Amanda, I'm really curious as to your, um, your take on, I mean, you've been doing a lot of American stuff and I get what you're saying. You know, you've got maybe an hour with a character on an American show and two takes on a Canadian show, but I think we gave you space on MVP. I think there was time. And I don't, I don't, I don't, my experience on MVP wasn't the quote unquote uh, Canadian experience at all. I think that's why MVP ruined me uh, from the beginning because it was such a wonderful experience. It was, uh, there was so much time. There was so much freedom to develop characters. There was, it felt like there was endless amounts of money and space and collaboration. And then I didn't get it again for 12 years 10 years and so MVP was an anomaly it was an anomaly and I think you know it's interesting because the the next time I had that kind of experience was on Maudie and I do think it shows on the screen yeah I do believe that it was it does yeah it completely does it was a different experience on Maudie because MVP we did have a considerable amount of money for a Canadian series and you felt it yeah, intentionally, because I knew that if we were going to hit the mark, which we did, to meet the standards of American programming, I needed that. On And so that's what I fought for. And that's ultimately what I think took us down now that I look back on it. However, um, it was a big, bold show with a huge cast. We had incredible people in the room writing. And season two would have been even more amazing because we had even more amazing people in the room writing. And we had a, a Jason Priestley was going to join the cast. Um, we had there was a there was a kidnapping and a murder at the end of season one. So there was a cliffhanger. It was just yeah. there was so many things going forward. I, when I hear that they're rebooting Night Court, I'm like, what can I reboot MVP? Um, <laughs> but, you know, that would be great. Uh, Maudie was Maudie was smaller. Maudie still yeah. again. I I will not do a show unless it's properly financed. I just won't because I don't want to come in last. I want to come in first. And I want to come in first because I've worked so damn hard for the story. I've worked so damn hard with the team. Yeah. I've worked so damn hard to get the right cast. I'm not going to let everybody down. So I'm not a money producer, but I make sure there's enough money. I know how to go out and raise money. I've been raising money privately now for a couple of years in order to develop stuff. Wow. Into- yeah, because I don't want to be beholden to numbnuts. I want to have the opportunity to develop something to the point where it's internationally excellent. And then I'll go and I'll take it out to networks or wherever. But Maudie was a different experience. It was intimate. You know, it's really? Like, well, when I was pitching. Well, that house alone. Like you can't, right? If you're going to you work me, in this tiny you know house. Bang on. So when when I was developing that show, if I got one script note, I got a hundred script notes. Nobody wants to look at a show that takes place in a 10 by 12 foot shack with two people. Are you kidding me? Who doesn't? No, no. I mean, that shocks me. Oh, So I have their names in the back of my book so that I always remember. 
Do transfer them every time you get to a new book. Keep away um, from these people. But yeah, I mean, we had to fit our DOP, our director, uh, our first AD, and our cast in a 10 by 12 foot set. You didn't like, you didn't like oh have God. a removable wall or anything like that? We, yes. We built it with walls that flew. Okay. However, it was so well built because the carps really worked hard at their job and we were outdoors. We didn't build it in a studio that it would have taken two days to remove a wall. So we ended oh my up God. never taking a wall down because it would have taken too long. Um, but we had a very small crew and a very and, and the cast was small because it's a very intimate story. And um, and we all moved out to Newfoundland. Um, there were some people from Ireland because it was an Irish, it was a majority Canadian minority Irish co-production. And mm-hmm, we, all, mm-hmm. we all lived in the same block and we all went to the same. Oh, stop. I, I know, that. Amanda. We have to do a movie together, Amanda. We have to. I know. That's what part of MVP was was so, so lovely for me. So wait, I have a question for uh, about Maudie. You had this wonderful experience on set, and you just mentioned that it um, that you do feel it translates onto the screen, and I I truly believe that. So when you were finished and you you were watching the movie and it was finally cut, did you anticipate the reaction that it would have, and the and the part and the fact that it became such a massively successful Canadian film? Like, did you did you think that you had a hit on your hands? Do you when you do things? Um, I did with MVP, I did with The Arrow, but those were all, um, those were shows that were more bold. And the storylines were uh, more, well, no, and Maudie's universal. No, I didn't. I knew I had a beautiful film, but I also thought it was a very subtle film. And often subtlety is lost in the noise of, you know, Mandalorian and Maverick and you know yeah yeah so and even you know even when we you know what was really funny one of the one of the mandates of telephone one of the requirements of telephone who are one of our major financiers thank you telephone um is they require you to uh test it with an audience so you have to allow money in your budget for that so we rented out the largest cinema at the varsity and it's a random audience. You hire a company to do the test and they go and, and they, they know that it's mainly the crowd that would go to the varsity. So they give out tickets for a couple of days before to people coming out of the cinema from other movies and invite them in. We filled the house. It was full. And then they have to fill in a, a card afterwards talking about what they thought of the film. Did you like this character? Did you like that character? Like the story, blah, blah, blah. And then your overall approval. We got a 98% approval rating. Oh. And Telefilm wanted to do another test because they thought the test results were skewed. so did you because it was so good yes because they didn't believe the test results because they've never had that result before the day i knew it was a hit naomi was when i got home and i opened the paper and it was a photograph on the front page of the globe and mail and it was a lineup around the block of the oxford theater in halifax and oh my god and i went Oh, yes, this is going to work. And, you know, the Maritimes love their stories and they are loyal, loyal. Yeah, they really are. But when that hits, when it hits, when somebody says there's lineups around the block, it was boom, 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 boom. We opened every single festival in Canada except TIFF because they offered us the opening night gala, but we got offered Telluride, which was really important for international. Yes. That's where Sony Pictures picked it up. So we got an opening night. We had a special presentation at TIFF. 
but all the rest of it, anyway, it was, it was a remarkable experience. It was, it was challenging during running up to the Oscar season, which is coming up now. So we're all thinking Oscar. I think Sally and Ethan both. Oh my God. Nomination. Neither of them. Gabrielle Rose. I have to shout out Gabrielle Rose too. I think she's. Oh my God, Gabrielle Rose. I mean, Gabrielle Rose is such an extraordinary woman. And she's so yeah. I love yeah. her. I love my cast. Corey Matchett, you know, Billy. Uh, it, it was just an amazing cast. Zach Bennett. Zach Bennett. I think he's been in like eight of my shows since he was this big. <laughs> and I mean, I go back to actors that I work with as much as I can because we, because they're wonderful people and wonderful. They bring so much. They bring so much. Yeah. Yeah. You love telling the thing that you, you're very loyal to uh, uh, the performers that you work with, just both on and like in work and then in our personal lives, you really are. It's, a, it's very, very distinctly something that you do. Um, but I also noticed, again, in doing research, and I don't think I ever made this correlation, how loyal you are to telling Canadian stories real stories, true stories, like Shattered City, uh, Conrad Black, that Mark Hall, like it's just, it just MVP is sort of real, Maudie, like what is it about, why are you so loyal to telling Canadian stories? Who knows? I don't know. It's funny because I look back on my IMDb and, I, and I'm struck with the same thing. Uh, all I know is that when a story hits me, uh, a friend of mine, Glenn, who you know from MVP, says a light bulb, you can see the light bulb go on over my head. And a, a light bulb has never gone on for an American story. It's never gone on for a British story. I will say that I have a couple of international stories now that people are talking to me about, one in particular about Gloria Steinem, because I feel like there's a whole generation of young women out there that don't know how hard people like I know worked to get yeah. us all where we are. And now with the whole Roe versus Wade stuff being back in the, you know, we got to, we got to tell those stories. Um, but you know, you know, uh, if it doesn't speak to me, I can't do what has to be done. 13 years. Yeah. 13 Amanda to get Maudie done. Before we go any further, I just want to tell our listeners about another amazing pod that they're going to want to listen to. I'm sure this is going to come as no surprise to you, but I love podcasts. I love them. Firecracker Department has over 150 episodes, and now we've got the new series, The Blaze Sessions. And I just love it because hosts get to share a point of view, share with the audiences that they have something that they really care about and share stories and voices that maybe we wouldn't be exposed to otherwise. Happy Fun Amazing is a super fun podcast where an eclectic group of guests tell host Joanna Sullivan their happiest funniest, and most amazing true stories. It's like having a fun conversation between friends about true, unbelievable, and amazing things that have happened to them, and you get to listen in on them. Hmm, I love it. Joanne is a super gifted storyteller, comedian, and screenwriter. She toured three solo shows and written for This Hour Has 22 Minutes and The Baroness Von Sketch Show. But really, she just loves telling stories, and you can so hear that in her voice in this podcast. Guests have include actor Graham Greene, improviser Colin Mockery, Sean Cullen, Alana Harkin, and also firecracker and actor me, Naomi Sneakus. My husband and I jumped on the podcast and we told the story about when Matt organized a very secret and surprise vow renewal ceremony that obviously I didn't know anything about, but it was such a great experience and we were able to tell that story on that podcast. So go have a listen to that. 
And you know what? Joanne even has her dad on her podcast, Barry O'Sullivan, who's crazy, funny, amazing story, has the most downloads of any episode ever. So go find out why. Honestly, you're going to want to do that. You can find Happy Fun Amazing wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow or subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. And, you know, they're super happy, fun and amazing. And now back to the show. Were you with the project for all like since the beginning? Oh, yeah, baby. So Shattered City that Amanda mentioned is the story of the Halifax explosion. World War One, two ships collided in the harbor. Nine thousand people were either killed or injured. I think twenty nine hundred were killed. And my mother was a survivor of the Halifax explosion. And if we talk about <gasps> we're talking wow. about wardrobe and. So mom was a little girl living in Halifax and um, she was in Sacred Heart Convent in her class um, when the explosion happened. And so I grew up with the stories. And if you're doing the math, my mother was uh, also as she, when she grew up, she became a nurse and then she signed up for World War Two. And then she signed up for combat and went over to England, was in General Hospital. She was with the invasion of Normandy. She was one of the 10 Canadian nurses. Oh, my God. Of Normandy, and she followed the Canadian troops in a casualty clearing station, which is a mass unit. So two miles behind the front lines, all the way through France and Belgium and Holland, and into up the Rhine into Germany. So mom, and she came back from the war, and she said all the good men were. She had a good sense of humor. All the good men were either married or dead. So she went back to school and got her public health degree, and went and nursed in Cabbage Town, um, riding around on a bicycle for like 10 years and then met a widower and got married and had me when she was 47. So what? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. 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 Think of, think of it. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. She had a whole, she had several lives before I was born. So anyway, she told us the story of shattered city, us being my half brother, cause she married a widower with a kid. And, um, and we did the move. We we had it. Everything was ready to go. We had the miniseries script done. She'd read it. By this time, she was in a nursing home and in Toronto. And I knew I was moving to Halifax to for six months to do the show. And I went up to see her. Uh, she'd had a fall and she was in a wheelchair. And, and uh, I told her that I'd call her every night and not to go anywhere till I got home. And I was out in, in Halifax in prep. And I got a phone call from my son that she'd had a stroke and that she was going to survive and it was a week from shooting and her characters in the show her characters the name oh my gosh yeah, yeah. but she'd read the script and she loved it so she would she played bridge the night before she had a stroke I mean the woman was incredible um and she won um of course so I came home and we and and she lived for three days and I got in cuddled into bed with her and hung out with her until she passed and then Flew back to Halifax, really, you know, whoa. Um, she was 92, but still. And um, and my friend Glenn, who you know, Amanda, who was um, camera operator on Shattered City, took me to the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia. And he took me into the Maude Lewis Gallery. He said, I'm going to take you here oh. to stir you up. And I sat in that little gallery and I looked at that little house and there was a documentary a National Film Board documentary that I watched about three times. And Glenn said he saw a little light bulb going over my head. And I think my mom and Maudie were hanging out that day saying, this is what so do I. So that's where it started. Yeah. What's your mom's, what's your mom's first name? Constance. Constance. 
Wow, what an amazing, I mean, that's a movie into itself, your mom's I like, know, but nobody wants to do period. Right. <laughs> so when you talk, but Mary, I'm wondering, like when you talk about that light bulb, like, is that something that you feel like is your your place as an artist to tell these stories? Like, what is it? Like, can you just feel? It's excitement. It's almost, it's a, a, almost a physical feeling. It really is. Like, I, I mean, like, I can see it in you now. Like, I don't know very many producers <laughs> yeah. that are this jazzed about what their job is. Usually producers are like, okay, it's going to be hard. And I'm going to tell you all the problems. But you're like, no, we got stories to tell. Yeah, you know, it was if I'd known it was 13 years, if I'd known how hard it was going to be, but I didn't think about it. And I never, ever wavered in my belief that it was going to be a brilliant story. And I knew from the beginning, Sherry White was the woman to write it. Yeah. You know, there's just something magical about Maude and there's something magical about Sherry. And I just, yeah, without her. And it's so funny because, you know, Renee Zellweger passed and Reese Witherspoon passed. And um, there's one other actress that I remember. Oh, Rachel, Rachel McAdams. Rachel yeah. McAdams. And then Ashlyn came on board, our director, Ashlyn Walsh. And she said, what do you think is Sally Hawkins? And I went, I, I love Sally Hawkins so much. Like when I will watch anything she ever does anytime. Me she too. could do a commercial for your yeah. hemorrhoid cream. I'd be like, yeah, oh my exactly. God, she's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And so then that from that point forward, it was like once, when she said Sally that was the finish line. I could yeah. see the finish line. And then we just had to get Ethan because all of the distributors said, the international distributors, oh, that's fine. She's fine. But nobody's heard of her. Nobody's heard of Ashling Walsh. We need a star in the role of her. That, that's a question I have for you in now starting to try to work on my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a huge hurdle? Because a lot of people talk to me about that, that there are, uh, just to get the money and satisfy the money people, do you find that you have to uh attach someone with a name attach someone with it, like that are internationally recognized in order to get your project made like is that um, something that you feel you I, have to do can i rephrase that that's something i want to do because i want okay i love that my movies i don't want to do it i mean dan Freud was in the arrow you know i had i i had uh, oh, mr what's this called uh kurt uh star trek original guy from star trek you know uh, Chuck- William Shatner. William Shatner. <laughs> Kurt Russell. Tell me. William Shatner in, uh, in Everest. I mean, I've had stars in all of my movies. And um, it's because I want people to go and see it. And, and I love that. Very rare exceptions. It's because they are exceptional. They are stars. And you certainly are. aren't like losing anything by having Ethan Hawke. Geez, like he brings such artistry to what he he's did. doing. I heard, I read that he yeah. didn't even read the script. He was just like, yeah, I'm in. His wife told him he had to do it. He came home from work. He was doing a play on Broadway and he came home and his wife, Riley, she's got thank you credit, was sitting at the table crying and she huh. said, you have to do this. And he said, oh, okay, I'll read the script. And she said, no, no, you have to just say you're going to do it. Then you can read the script. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and he'd always wanted to work with a woman director. That was the first time he'd worked with a female director. And he'd always wanted to work with Sally Hawkins. So it kind of was perfect. It was perfect. I have to ask you what you learned about yourself in that process. Like, I feel like every project that comes to us is some sort of gift to learn something about what we're oh, also boy. going through. What was the biggest? I'm going to ask the same question for MVP. But what was the biggest thing you learned about yourself during Mahdi? Hmm. Um, you know, it's very challenging to be working with a number of other producers and 
I'm not necessarily being given the position of the lead producer, but having to take it. Oh, and gotcha. what I had to do was take it because yes. there were decisions that would be made unless I did that, that would not have ended up in the film that we ended up with. And I'm not do you have a specific, do you have like a specific example now? Uh, you know, I probably don't off the top of my head, but I can probably give you a, a general example. Um, if you have somebody who comes to set maybe three times during the shoot because they're a producer and they come to set and they watch the morning's rushes and they come back to you and say, can't you get her to talk faster? Can't you get her to move faster? Can't you get, you know, and and it's like and and they are considerably more. They're considered to be like a powerful person. And you have to turn to and you say no. And they say, well, that's what I know. I know what I'm doing here. Why aren't you taking my notes? And you just have to smile and stand up to them. I don't like I've, I've never liked playing power games. I don't do them well. I'm not good at it, mm-hmm. but I'm really good at being stubborn. It, it could be the Irish. I'm really good. At being <laughs> stubborn, and I'm really good at walking away from confrontation. Just walking away, mm-hmm. like not, not facing walk away. it. Walk away because you know when you think about it, you walk away and you think about it and you think that person's not going to be able to give direction to the director because she doesn't trust him. That person's not going to be able to give direction to the actors. They don't even know who he is. So I'm just going to walk away. Let him his gums in the wind. Um, uh, the other thing I learned, I think, Naomi, was trusting my own instincts uh, in terms of you know the cut, the final edit, the results of that test audience, believing in the show. Yeah. Yeah. That movie could have I been like that. that movie could have been like a very meandery because of the beautiful landscapes and the, the beautiful painting, but it didn't it had a pace to it that was great. Yeah. 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 Well, we just stopped telling the story. Stuff hit the floor. A lot of scenes hit the floor. Yeah. They weren't telling the main story, including a scene that my daughter was in. Have you ever oh. had to tell your own daughter oh. that she's being cut out of your feature film? That was the hardest thing no. I've ever done in my entire career. By far. No. Oh, how did how did Katie take it? How did she take it? And you know, she's incredible. She's such a strong woman. I I I bow to that woman. She's incredible. Um, she was, I'm sure inside it was devastating for her. Um, she mm-hmm. came between us ever. Well, but we probably both talked about it separately in therapy. Um mm-hmm. You know, to this day, it's it's I, I well up thinking about it. it was it was the hardest Awful. decision I ever had to make. But that also is a testament to you as a creator. You know, like not, not to let like like we have these discussions. My husband and I, and I'm sure Aiden and you talk with this Amanda about like art being paramount in things. So that when you're talking mm-hmm. about things like this, it's not it's, we're not talking about personal things. It's not person. I'm not saying you're not a good actor. I'm not saying anything. No. Just art. We're t- we're trying to put art first. Mm-hmm. That was leads me to my next question because I know that you and your lovely husband Keith, <laughs> Keith is always so nice uh, to me. Um, so cute, too, Keith, isn't he? <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> I love that, and he's so writer cute too. <laughs> Keith, Keith is a writer director, and you have collaborated uh, over the years, you know, a lot together. How in the hell? oh yeah 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 this is we all want to know this. Um, For real, though, how? Why? How? You know, why? Because he's super talented and I don't want to deny myself the ability to work with one of the best writers in the country. Um, how we do really separate church and state. We're really, really good at that. Although 
I just I was doing some notes on a script that we're working on together and and we were kind of he was rushing to a deadline and and he I said so we're gonna sit down I've made notes right in the draft so we'll just go through my notes and he said no no just give me your notes and then I'll go through them and if I've got questions I'll ask you because he can read my terrible handwriting and and then he comes and he goes Ugh. You wrote Ugh beside some of my dialogue. <laughs> I'll see if we had a meeting, I would have filtered that. <laughs> but how many times does your date turn into a production meeting? Well, how many times do we need a date? Because we just talk work all the time. That's the only issue. How can you not? Like it's what we love. Like how could it's our it's our passion, it's our life. Like, of course we're gonna talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. There's a point at which it becomes really annoying. I mean, it, it's like we have, that's a good point. I mean, we do sometimes have to actually sit down and go, okay, we're gonna have a cutoff and try and head to the cabin because that's the one place where we don't we yeah. play we play cards, we play backgammon. He goes, are we going to dance tonight? And I'm like, yep, we're going to dance in front of the fire. Oh, hot tub. And we got a bottle of wine waiting. And, um, and that's the one place, although we went up there during COVID for two years. We did too. Did you? Yeah. We were up at the cottage for two years. Well, it was wonderful, but I we ended up working up there. So that yeah. was our sanctuary for a while, but it's back to being our sanctuary again. <sighs> Oh, amazing. I love that as a, as a tip, especially now having a partner and developing things together. I love having, I don't have a cabin, you two fancy cabin lady. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love you the can idea come up of, to my cabin. Anytime. I'm just going to say, Amanda, anytime you need to go up and sort of bash stuff up. Uh, but I love the idea of having a separate space, a space that's sort of independent of like that's off limits to those discussions. I just, I, I anyways, I just, I love, but it's, too, I'm going it's to like, steal that. The cards or the like, what do you do that isn't work? Like, how do you, we end up like Matt painted these. Like one time we were like, let's just paint stuff. Let's just oh, put fun. paints out there and not. And when you said like, let's dance tonight. Like, I think that's exactly right. Because otherwise we're always, we're always working. I mean, we always, always to be working. Fair, to be fair, it was the husband that said, let's dance tonight. He's pretty fun that way. That's so sweet. He is. He <laughs> is. I'm so glad that he's still like that. Oh gosh, I love it. I want to ask you, oh, do you have one? I got a burning one. I got a burning question because I, I got feel it. like, okay, you go, I'll go. And then you go. But like, I feel like we're all stepping into places. If you haven't already into places of being producers, like yes. your, your yes. life is producer, but I feel like we're all sort of like actor, director, producer, director, producer. So I, I need some like tips about producing. Cause I feel like I start producing and I see the application that says budget and I go, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go have <laughs> a snack. So I would like some advice about new producers and also like baby producers. Yeah, you know, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, my my math skills were terrible in high school. And then my mom pointed out to me that as soon as I put a dollar sign in front of it, I figured it out. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and so <laughs> you, you can figure out the budget part. That's not hard. You know, you it, it's work. It's kind of like doing grade 10 math, but you got to do it. And I've, I've had to do it. I mean, you said I wasn't a money producer. You're not wrong. I'm not a line producer. I was when I worked my way up in the business. I started driving and transport. Um, but advice for baby producers is find something you really believe in because it's going to take you a very long time. And also, you've created an amazing network with this organization. So reach out to me. Reach out to people that are experienced. I mean, don't hesitate. I, I, I have now formed a consulting company with another colleague, um, Edwina Follows, because 
so many people were coming to us asking for help and wanting, and they really wanted us to jump on board as producers. And I want to help and I want to mentor and I want to see the next generation succeed. But I was finding that I was spending so much of my time getting other things going um, that we actually had to kind of put our foot down. So where we are consulting, I'm consulting on a feature film that's now actually, we've just raised a million bucks in the US for it. And and that's fun because it's two more, Keith isn't on it, but I'm working with producers Jen Holness and Sud Sutherland, and with uh, they're a couple, and with uh, Laura Baron Kastner and Jamie Kastner, who are a couple. So I can handle the couple business. I'm just like I'm an old hand at that. Um, and I started, <laughs> I started out consulting on that one, and they kept saying, "Would you consider coming on as a producer if it's going well?" And yes, I did. Um, so I so there you consulted your way into a role. That's what you did. You were yeah, like exactly. <laughs> I got, they paid me to, 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 to ask to be on the show. Yeah. So I do that work and it's been really rewarding. Um, but it, honestly, Naomi, um, it, it's, it's believing in what you're doing and, and, and don't worry about whether it's too big or not, because if you can see it, you can make it. My first movie was a feature film and I was 31 years old and I'd never produced anything before. It was called Where the Spirit Lives. And it won awards all over the world. And it's the first mm-hmm. drama that told the residential school story starring Michelle St. Keith wrote that. Keith wrote it. Yeah. And Buffy St. Mary did the score. And uh, Cynthia Dabosky, Michelle St. John, Shirley Chichu, Graham amazing. Green. I mean, it was an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you you know, it's it's just you have to believe in it. And it's getting harder and harder to find money. Yeah. So if you've got any relatives start talking to them now about your dreams <laughs> yeah. you have to be careful not mm-hmm. to talk to them about all your dreams that's all you got to make sure you're like holding on to the dream that's really that important is, yeah for yeah. sure for sure yeah is is that why is that why with the mark hall story because you produced two movies like two different ver- not different versions of prom queens you produced the two of the tv movies and then uh i know it was called uh when you mounted it for live theater the louder we get so I produced one movie called Prom Queen. Then we developed it as a musical called Prom Queen. But the musical, The Prom, was coming out in, on Broadway. So we changed the title to The so Ladder We Get. Oh, so The Ladder We Get, if, if Wicked wasn't called Wicked, it would be called Define Gravity. And so the song The Ladder We Get is the last song of Act One before they come back. Yeah. So it's the, you know, to the Bastions. And, uh, and it's going to be coming to Toronto. We're going to be announcing it very soon. It's going to be a great big, that is amazing. LGBTQ2 plus X, everything. Huge musical in Toronto in 2024. Amazing. That is amazing. I think my question is how, what, what was that like? Like, especially being, having so much experience in, in film and television to then, uh, go into live theater I can imagine they're quite different it's terrifying it's still yeah it's money market too right like you're not right. dealing with, you're dealing with a whole different money market too yeah there's no money market that's what I mean <laughs> yeah. I was trying to find a gentler way to say it I mean it was it it, it was it's again uh you learn as you go and every every television and movie project is a brand new thing too I remember True. I had this lovely meeting with Michael. Well, I worked with Michael Donovan, um, Salter Street. He was the producer of This Hour of 22 Minutes and Emily of New Moon and all kinds of stuff. And 
Um, and Michael and I worked together on Chattered City. He was my co-producer. And we went out for sushi one day. And I said, you know, what's your secret? Because he had way more money than me. And he said, do a series. Because every time you do a movie it's or a, or a MOW or a play, it's reinventing the wheel. Once you've got a series going, it's on a track. Yeah. And that's what that's one of the reasons I did MVP. But it but it got stopped because, well, because an American was making the decisions at CBC. He was an American who had been given the job of being. Yeah. And I remember him saying, you know, the Los Angeles Times doesn't cover hockey. Yet when Amanda and I and Kristen Booth and a couple of other I forget who else was with us. I think um, the character of Damon. Dylan Casey. Dylan Casey. We had a billboard in Times Square. They had a, there was a ginormous billboard um, right near the Kodak Theater um, because these guys were all invited down. My beautiful cast, they did a huge photo spread. And then they were invited down as guests at the daytime Emmys. I mean, we were on a roll, but that was one of those moments when CBC canceled. SoapNet was the network in the US. SoapNet said, that's fine. We'll find a partner network. We're going to do season two. My European partner said, we're going to do season two. I got on a plane to fly down to meet with SoapNet, and I went shopping as one does. Uh, Betsy Johnson was having a sale, <laughs> so I went and I came out. I came out with my two bags of Betsy Johnson stuff. I was going to have dinner with Jason that night because he was coming on as a new owner of the team, and um, and there was a phone call from Zach saying Zach was my distributor saying, "Did you read Variety this morning?" I went, "No, I've been shopping," and he said, "SoapNet has just sold, and it's going to be Disney Junior." Yes. And that was that. That was the end. I mean, you got yeah. you. You're obviously somebody who rolls with it, though, right? Like you can't have you know, that you was pick a hard yourself one. up. That yeah. was a hard one. That was a very hard one. I almost didn't come back from that one. I mean, Amanda's told you. Really? It was, it was yeah. very personal. It was very, it felt very, very personal. How did you come back then? Because I feel like, you know, we're all getting our skin is supposed to be thick, but I feel like there's some things that oh, they get it gets right to my heart. How do you come back? Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, it was really hard. I, I really, I, I closed the company down um, because at that point, the new ownership of CBC were canceling all the Canadian content. I had two miniseries in development. I had MVP in production. They shut everything down. So I had an office with a staff of 15 and a $75,000 a month overhead and I shut it all down. And I moved to a home office. So home offices are not new for me. And I had to reinvent myself. And it was a big, it was a big blow because I was seeing other companies, you know, there's some brilliant producers around, you know, I watched Christina Jennings take a little kernel and turn it into a big, big thing. But Christina's a different kind of producer than me. She's very business focused and she really understands how to build a business. And she's brilliant at that. But I'm always, I've always been a passion project kind of girl. And that's yeah. not necessarily the best way to go, but it's the only way to go that I know. Um, yeah. So it was hard. It was really hard. I, I, that was the first time I was ever in therapy. It was the first time I ever really questioned. It was a lot of sleepless nights. It was a lot of wondering what I had done wrong, like questioning myself. And it took a long time to go back upstairs and be at the 30,000 foot view and realize that it was circumstances. Cause I, 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 I had done nothing wrong with that show. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, I I love the idea. Thank you for the transparency in that. I just, I I love the idea and this is for um, all of our listeners to be able to 
know that in every facet of this job, you get your heart broken and it, I, I guess I quit the business for four years. There's a lot of things that happened and it was after MVP, partly because I had the wonderful experience and I wasn't finding the same thing. But I love, I love just being transparent about the fact that it does take a minute to pick ourselves up. Yeah. Like uh, you can get yeah. back up and all of the sayings and, and uh, get back on the horse, but sometimes Jesus Christ, it takes me a minute to, my back's broken. It's going to take me a bit to get on the horse. Yeah, please so I, I don't think we're don't think that we're like the unsinkable Molly Browns, and don't put that on ourselves because if we do, we're just going to get worse. You're not going to get well. You're not going to get past it. You're not going to figure it out. You have to step away. You have to forgive, and you have to forgive a lot. Even that dickwad at CBC who was making I know who you're talking about too. Oh yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. There's dickwads everywhere. There's dickwads right. everywhere. But that let me ask you, I do dickwad. I have a question for both of you then. Like if there's one little thing, like, and this isn't talking just in our careers because what Amanda just said is really, I think apropos is that apropos, who do I think I am anyway? But, uh, but I think like disappointments, thank you so much. Merci. (laughs) Um, I think it's across the board. Like people have disappointments and you think of like producers being like the people that are the gatekeepers, but I'm like, they deal with it. Two casting directors deal with disappointments too. So what's like one thing, like one step that you can do that takes you out of that despair. I'll say for me, like it's doing some sort of like non, like non-work, like, like a artistic, like painting or like doing something that is taking me out of side of like the industry and doing something that is adjacent. What's something for you two that helps you get out of it? Does it count that I sang in 150 Bows Rock and Roll Choir for six years that I joined after MTV crashed and I sang on the stage of Carnegie Hall? Shut your face. Tell me everything. <laughs> what are you talking about? You joined I a choir? I was going to bring that up. Yes, I was going to bring that up. You ruined it. Okay. <laughs> Tell me. And then we'll get yours, Amanda. 150 person rock and roll choir called New Choir. We've, we've backed up Julie Black, Hoxley Workman, uh, Dave Bedini, uh, you name it. We've backed them up. Hoxley Workman and Sarah Sleen were so fun. And now Sarah Sleen's a girlfriend and she's composing the score for my next musical. No way. Is she? Yeah. I was the biggest fan of Sarah Sleen. We competed against one another in the Sears Drama Festival all the way through high school. And we would go back and forth winning awards. She was the one to beat all the time. And then she would win one year and I would win one year. And she would, I've known her since we were 15 competing in the Sears Drama Festival. Love Sarah Sleen. Yes. Well, she's living back. She's living back in the hood. She's in Brooklyn. I know she is. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad that you're, you're connected. But can you tell Naomi a a little bit about the experience of just you, what you, what you, the choir would do? Just, just give an idea of what you would sing, what you would do, because it was really cool. Did you oh see it, goodness. Amanda? Well, I mean, we we sang I, everything from I Stevie just Nicks, everything from Stevie Nicks to Sting. We we had choreography the first time we did Gaga. We all had choreography. We there are small groups, so you might like the full choir sings. But then when we, we did Kerner Hall every year, and we would be backing up a singer at Kerner Hall, um, we rehearse every once a week. Um, you have to memorize. And be completely off book with wow. 10 to 15 songs. I sing alto. And, you know, during COVID, when the choir shut down, I was, and I was living at the cottage, I found this amazing woman, um, Jennifer Harding, who's from Buckhorn, Ontario, originally, but was living in London, England. I know Buckhorn. Years. Well, and, and, and Jennifer was on the, in the West End. 
And during COVID, she started giving singing lessons and her father constructed this, this shield that was made out of coat racks with plexiglass and she got a room at the Buckhorn Community Center. And so during COVID, I took private singing lessons and I learned how to belt. I'd never belted before. <laughs> oh I my love gosh. That. So I much. I love that. Your life. That is I so I don't know inspiring. how you have time to... I don't know how you have time to do all of the things that you do. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's it's too much. Um, we're going to run out of time. Wait, Amanda, oh, before we go. I was worried I wouldn't know what to talk about. We could talk all day, but you Amanda, I want to know. Well, you're, you're not done yet. You're not done. Okay. Before we jump into this segment, can you tell me what your like your thing is that you jump in to get out of your uh, your um, undoubtedly hiking, hiking. Uh, it's prob- part of the reason why, like moving from Los Angeles, because we lived there on and off for a long time, it was the, I could just go anywhere and hike and something happens to me. I'm by myself. I sing. So maybe singing as well. And I don't, I'm not a singer. So it's the one place I can exercise and then scream ridiculous music out loud. And it makes me feel like an artist. It makes me feel like I did in high school doing silly Italian runs of, of uh, like sparse plays. And I just, um, it. it makes me feel the closest to my art and the most free. And it reminds me of why I do it. It's just an instant reminder. I think there's like a connector of singing. I think like we should make a pact right now. Yeah. Three of us should go to um, choir, choir, choir sometime. Oh, that would be fun. I'd love that. Yeah, yeah we'll do that. That would I be know. fun. So much fun. All right. So this next segment, Naomi, do you want to break it down for Mary? Yeah, this, is a, this is a, it's pretty serious, this segment. Uh-oh. We have a thing called 10 blazing questions and uh, it's really, that's all there is to it. Here we go. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions and you can't be wrong. That's the greatest thing about it. What's your favorite word? Happiness. Aww. Who would you love to work with? Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, nice. Uh, three words to describe your life right now. Busy, um, exciting, and scary. Ooh, I like so, that. Yeah, I'm excited uh, about the scary part. Go on, Amanda. Me too. One thing that turns you on creatively. Music. Yes. One thing that makes you feel powerful. Music. Oh, I like that. Now, do you ever Google yourself? Yes or no? No. No, the first no. <laughs> what um what's the best advice you ever got? If a guy can do it, you can do it from my dad. Yes. Nice. Yes. Uh speaking of music, what is one song that moves you? Like your go-to song? The Ladder We Get from my musical. Oh, yes. nice. Nice, nice. Um, if you believe in reincarnation. And if it was the second one, it would be Define Gravity from another musical. Sorry, Naomi. <laughs> no, no, I'll take two. I'll take two. Um, if you believe in reincarnation, what do you think you could be reincarnated as? A chickadee. Oh, wow. Oh. Love it. So, so, also song, their song. Uh, finally, other than loved ones and family and friends, what would you give it all up for? I wouldn't. I know. I love that. Me neither. I love that. You're such a badass. <laughs> um, one of the things we like also to wrap it up is to like, we're all like grabbing people that uh, we want to shine a light on. So somebody in your life that's a female non-binary artist that you want to raise up a little bit. Mm, oh my goodness. 
Evan Kinane. Evan Kinane, they play Mark Hall in The Ladder We Got. Lovely. Unbelievable, unbelievably talented, beautiful human being, gorgeous dancer, gorgeous singer, beautiful soul, one of the nicest human beings on the planet. Nice. And unbelievably talented. And hopefully you'll all get to meet them in Toronto. Awesome. Amanda, do you have somebody? I I do. Uh, uh, this week, um, I have uh, Julie Black. Have I mentioned Julie Black before? Uh, simply because uh, Julie, as you know, uh, sang the national anthem at the um, the NBA All Star Game, and uh, changed some of the lyrics. I feel it's my personal opinion, but I feel appropriately. Uh, just modernize them. She consulted with a lot of indigenous groups. Uh, she didn't just go and do it herself. And I thought it was beautiful, but has sort of received, you know, a significant amount of pushback as one would when they're altering a an anthem that uh, is supposed to belong to an entire nation. I think it was brave and bold and she's an ally and courageous and cool. So shout out Julie Black for that move. Awesome. Naomi? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm doubling down on that one. I'll say mine is uh, Stephanie Morgenstern. Stephanie, I've been just met recently and uh, I just think she's incredible. Like she's, she's part of, I mean, she's Flashpoint uh, producing, but also a writer on uh, Transplant and um, so many more amazing, like when you talk about collaboration, Mary, like it's those kind of ensemble work mm -hmm. that I, I'm so jazzed about, but she's also like taking class. And she's also writing again with her partner. Look at all these partnerships. She's also a beautiful actor. She's a beautiful she actor. She is. Like I just audited a class that she is in and I watched her act and I'm like, she's stunning. Like I just, um, she's curious. I love the curiosity behind her. Yeah. I love it. Well, this Mary, thank you so much for giving us your time. What fun. Oh my I, gosh. You and also, we didn't even get to the things you are developing. And I know you're so busy. And I just, I, I admire you so much. And I, I really have modeled myself to be like you. Like, I hope I am as respected and as, as kind and grounded as you are uh, once I've received my Queen's Jubilee. I love you, Amanda. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Naomi, it's so fun to get to know you. So fun. Lovely. Oh my gosh. These so conversations. So good. It's so I feel like it's so it's so difficult afterwards as well because I feel like you didn't even scratch the surface. This is I the know. problem with having people that are so accomplished that I'm like, wait, but there's also remember when you were president. And then can we talk about when you flew the time capsule? Like <laughs> it's like, just you got the Queen's Jubilee in there. Just, oh Queen's Jubilee. <laughs> like right at the end there. Did it twice. Yeah. Nailed it twice. Brought it at the beginning, closed it at the end. Um, one thing that you learned. Oh gosh. You know what? I mean, so much. I mean, just, you know what? There's, there's an essence of her, her passion that I'm really holding mm -hmm. on to right now. Like I don't see that a lot in producers. I see producers being tired and beaten down and she mm -hmm. looks like she's really jazzed. And the fact that she's also producing like theater and things like that. So, um, mm -hmm. I mean that, but also, uh, reaching out to your community when she said that, like, look at the community and look at the people around you to help you. And ask. Yeah. 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 I, I learned that uh, to give yourself grace when you fall down. 
sort of to have patience with yourself. And that uh, also to uh, what I learned from this and what I heard from this, you spoke about MVP a lot. And I loved the idea of being able to say out loud when you did get hurt. And it didn't stop her, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Maudie was after her when that was massive, but sort of not denying it. I think I have a tendency to brush things off of like, they're fine, I'm fine, I'm a woman of steel. Nothing hurts me, everything's perfect. I'm not afraid of anything. I just did it at the beginning. And I love the idea of making more space for when you're scared or hurt, because I just feel like if you fight it, it'll be harder to get back up. I just, yeah, I loved it. And it was ahead of its time. Like we, the photo shoots that we did for it were like Vanity Fair-esque. And it was just, you never saw, at this, this was at the height of like corner gas. And not that right. those don't have a place, but it was just very polished and slick and poppy. And it was just too ahead of its time. It was very Gossip Girl in Canada. And it's yeah. hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, always a pleasure, right. my friend. Oh, wait, don't forget. Hey, Bye. we forgot to do the wrap up. Hey, don't forget firecrackerdepartment.com for all your firecracker <laughs> department needs and hashtag the blaze sessions and then follow us to find out everything you need to know. That's how that works. We're not going to get, we're not going to get here. That's never, we're never going to do this again. It's, it's a wonder. It's a wonder <laughs> we're here at all. Bye, Amanda Bruegel. I love you so much. Bye. The Blaze Session is hosted and produced by myself, Naomi Sneekas, and Amanda Bruegel. Jennifer Morose is our consulting producer and cheerleader extraordinaire. Pal Carranza is our communications manager and content creator, with support from Chelsea McKenzie and Morgan Walker. Original graphics by Vicki Briarbreer and Becca Buddygag. Anna Marodin is our firecracker of all trades, with doing our YouTube artistic management, our newsletter, and also content creation. Jennifer Rowley is our amazing sound designer and basically editing wizard. Rebecca Gismani does our show notes and additional writing. Sedna Fiati does our outreach and consultation management. Shrishti Jayaswal is our video editor. Music by Sophia Canali and Arthur Kaplan. Big, big thanks to the entire Firecracker Department Action Year team that keep this community going. That's Veronica Martin, Anita McFarlane, Pau Carranza, and Lisa Lafferty. For more information about the Blaze Sessions or the programs, workshops, panels that are offered through the Firecracker Department, Go to firecrackerdepartment.com and follow us at firecrackerdept on all your platforms. If you enjoyed our episode today, leave a comment or maybe something one of our guests said really like sparked some inspiration. We'll share this episode with a friend. And if you didn't like the episode, you know what? Just keep it to yourself. No one likes a complainer. Now go on out there, take some creative action and then share it with the Firecracker Department community. We'd love to hear what you're working on. Bye for now. Hello, my name is Liesl Lafferty. I am the head of the Firecracker Writing Department. Thanks for listening to The Blaze Sessions.